Good morning, boys and girls, and welcome to another episode of our story podcast. Currently, we are reading The Secret Journey of the Silver Reindeer, and we've heard all about the journey that Ashlack and his brother and sister are all taking right now. The last we heard, Ashlack's brother Durka had shot and killed a large brown bear. It's interesting how his family used every single part of that bear for food and shelter and clothing. I am sure that that bear's life did not go to waste. Right now, as we've heard in our last chapter, Ashlack and his siblings are all staying at the camp. It sounds like the season is beginning to turn closer towards spring. As the light grows longer and the snows begin to melt and the creeks and rivers begin to run again. I wonder what will happen on his journey, if he'll be able to find where his grandfather was buried, and if Ashlack will truly become the head of his household. I guess we're going to have to wait and see. So tuck in, get comfortable, and get yourself a nice warm cup of tea as we listen to chapter six of The Secret Journey of the Silver Reindeer. As the days lengthened, ice and snow sank into the earth and the streams roared and boiled in their stony beds. Suddenly, spring buds appeared and Ashlack watching this time with a man's eye instead of a child's, understood why his people believed so long in magic. For spring became summer in a single day, as if an incantation changed bud to full leaf while he watched. In hours the wand bare birches became fully clothed in green, and the willow's leaf burst out as bright as sunlight, the cuckoo called out, Summer is here. But with all the glory of the new life shooting up through the fields came the pests, the midges and horseflies, mosquitoes and gadflies, pests of the people and enemies of the deer. For the sting of the gadfly injected eggs under the reindeer's skin that hatched to torment and sometimes even kill the deer. And the mosquitoes hummed in swarms, hovering around deer and humids like a horrid outer garment. Awake or asleep, it was impossible to escape them. The insects were the sign Ashlack awaited to tell him it was time to move to the farthest mountains. Ahead lies a difficult journey, he told his brothers and sisters, and we must seek new trails and find a summer camp by ourselves. Oh, Ashlack! Why can't we stay near our friends as we always do? Mirja begged. I know there is a boy from Karasuvano you long to see again, Ashlack teased gently. And if I can find what I seek in time, we will join the others before the summer roundup. But we must go alone and stay alone while I search for the mountain of the eagle's head. I have never heard of that, said Mirja. Nor had I, said Ashlack. Ashlack Maga, called a voice just outside the kata. 
Let me come in. The children's hearts jumped with fright. But Ashlack rose quietly, his hand on the sharpened, pointed puko, sheathed at his belt. Who stood outside? Who heard him speak of the mountain of the eagle's head? He hoped it was not his uncle. Even so, his heart missed a beat when he saw blind Kusima with the owl on his shoulder and a dog at his side. But Ashlak invited him in. Dertree cried at the sight of the owl, and the puppy snarled at the intrusion of the strange dog. The kacha was a small, dark place to hold such noise and confusion. But at last it all settled down. Terhi gave Kusima a bowl of stew. Merja, who knew Kusima only as the blind peddler, cried, Tell us who you have seen and where you have been. Do you know if our friends from Inontikio and Karasuvanto are coming this way? And both girls begged to see the gray ribbons he brought for sale in his pack. Ashlek let them ask their girlish questions. But when they were through, he told Kusima to follow him to the lake and began abruptly. Since you know all, tell me where my uncle Dira is and what he is doing. Ah, my boy. The old man's face was as wrinkled as a lake in the wind. How can I tell you that? For I am only a blind peddler, carrying my pack from camp to camp. And your uncle has no camp that I have seen. You mean he is free of a herd? He can travel swiftly and alone? I am told he kept six of your harka for a sledge string and four bucks for racing and gambling. He sold the rest to buy food and supplies for his search. He left the winter village not long after you, telling the mayor he would meet him at the summer roundup, bringing great Yurni's box of secret belongings in the other half of the Karasujoki nugget, which he expects to find wherever your grandfather is buried. Then without a full herd and does and young calves to watch over, he can have searched the whole of Lapland before I even see the mountains on the horizon. Ashlak hit the rock by which he stood in anger. And how do I know, since you acted as go-between with my grandfather's messages and handed him that half-nugget of gold that you have not also told him, of the cave of the great hunters in the mountain of the eagle's head? How do I know that you have told me a true thing? What message? What half-nugget of gold? When was I a go-between for your grandfather? Ashlak, you are sorely tired and worried, or you would not speak so said the old man sadly. Did I ever tell you that I gave Diramaga a nugget and a message? No, I did hear it from his lips, not yours. Oh, forgive me, but I have not known whom to believe. And then you have not told my uncle about the cave of the great hunters or the mountain of the eagle's head? I have told them nothing nor would he listen to a blind peddler. He has used me in his lies because he is fool enough to think his word more than mine. But I know all about him. I know he has hidden around the countryside these seven years, 
living in camps of others, stealing reindeer food. I know how much, and my drum told me more. Then will you use your drum again, if I could only know which pass in the mountains lead to the cave? When I cross the lake to the village to mourn the death of my old friend, your grandmother, my drum was stolen. Perhaps by Dira, who has no respect for sacred things and hopes to sell it for gold. And without it, I am only poor blind Kusima, the peddler. You must find my drum for me, Ashlak, so I may make and be Kusima the wizard once more. Ashlak sighed. How much more would fall upon his shoulders? How much could he accomplish with the burdens he bore of children and a herd of deer and treacherous rivers and mountains to cross? A loon sat upon the lake and shrieked with such laughter that Ashlak shivered. Kusima spoke. I tell you to start upon your summer trek at once. You will know the mountain of the eagle's head when you see it. Be careful lest you take an easy way, which will prove disastrous. I will wait for you at the summer roundup. Then the owl took flight from his shoulder. The dog padded ahead, and the peddler followed them over the fjells. Now that the snow had melted from the fjells, more car were harnessed and burdened, for sledges could no longer be pulled and everything must be held by the deer. Ashlak and Durka tied things on carefully, so nothing would slip as they climbed the mountain passes, or be torn off as they swam the savage streams. Now with the sun never falling from Skype, they could travel at any hour, stopping at any time to pitch their tent, eat and sleep. Small journey, and the dog stayed close to the herd, while Ashlak often climbed higher places by himself to study the range of mountains on the horizon. I wish I had a telescope like Uncle Dira, he sighed. I wish I had listened more to my father when he talked about his journeys. Once we cross the next stream, I must find a new way through the mountains so we will be above and beyond the summer campgrounds. But why couldn't we go to camp with our friends? The deer would be safe there, and you could leave us while you searched by yourself, Mirja pleaded. It would be quicker and easier. Quick, quicker and easier, yes, Ashlek answered, remembering Kusima's warning. But it would not be safe. He did not say it out loud, but if he were by himself, his uncle could push him over a cliff or drown him in a torrent, and no one would ever know it was not another sad accident to great Journey Maga's unfortunate family. Except for the click of the reindeer's hooves and the clack of their bells, or the shriek of a buzzard whose silent world was startled by the caravan, it was a quiet journey until they came to a mountain brook or jok. Derry shivered to hear its threatening shout long before he saw it. For this was where their mother had drowned. In late summer, the stream would have barely enough water to wash its stones. But now, in the spring, 
swollen with melted snowfields and cruelly cold, savage with the rush of raging rapids. The water screamed defiance as it hurtled past. Ashlack and Durka added their weight by putting stones inside the spacious pockets made by the top of their belted tunics. They helped Small Journey start the herd across. Even Strong Bighorn, the herd leader, had to be shoved, and Shaggy One, the herd follower, coaxed to start the procession, for the yoke was furious in its force. The weakest calves were swept and tumbled down the stream. When three were crushed and drowned before he could save them, Small Journey cried. Back and forth through the icy, waist-deep water went Ashlack, shouting and encouraging until all the herd spread out on the other side to graze. Then he and Durka tightened the hakars, paddle sack saddles, once more, and with a slap on the rump, urged them into the swirling stream. Derhi was frightened, and Merja tried to calm her. They pulled their skirts as high as they could and squealed as the icy water filled their boots and pushed their knees. When they were waist deep, they stopped squealing, for the cold clutched away at their breath. Durka splashed and scrambled next and then Ashlack, making sure nothing was left behind. He swung Dirty onto his shoulders, holding him tight by the legs. Be careful. You've pushed my hat over my eyes. Pertree pulled it back. Step by slippery, shivery step, Ashlick crossed the stream and dropped his little brother thankfully on the dry ground. Another year, another crossing. In the warm sun, they dried out their soaking tunics and leather pants. They spread out the sedge grass with which they filled their boots instead of wearing stockings. They put up the dripping kacha, splashed by the churning water, cooked a hot meal, and slept. All but Ashlack, who kept himself awake, worrying about the crossing the mountains ahead, and Small Journey, who counted and recounted the herd.